Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. So we have a new series today, starting a new series. It's going to go a few weeks. We're going to study the book of Nehemiah. How about that? When's the last time you studied the book of Nehemiah? It's been a minute. Nehemiah is an amazing story. For those of you who never heard of it, you're going to hear about it all month. You ready? We're going to jump into the book of Nehemiah, but before we do... I'm going to pray because we're going to talk briefly about the history of this, and then we're going to read a couple of chapters, and then I'm going to really dig in. Y'all ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach. Lord, I ask that it be your words, not mine. I ask that they would hear your spirit, your voice, not my voice. I pray that they would cut deep to the heart, that your word would cut deep to the heart, that it would do heart surgery this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you use me, speak through me, and let this word be clear in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Question, where were you on September 11, 2001? Oh, wow. Oof. That might have been a little sketchy to be at, huh? Saudi Arabia, September 11, 2001. Wow. Third grade. Hey, man, don't tell me I'm old like that. <laughs> how many of you, how many of you rem- don't remember that because you're so young? Okay, one, two. You don't remember. See, we got some young ones in here. She's like, I wasn't even born back there. She wasn't even born. Yeah, there's a whole generation coming up now that do not remember that because they weren't there. They weren't born yet. It's just, it's wild to think about. But everyone vividly remembers who was alive, where they were, third grade or not. Um, September 11th, 2001, I was a junior in high school. Yeah, I'm that old. I was a junior in high school. I remember vividly being in a chapel service because we went to a private Christian school. And one of the assistant principals rushes in and yells over the person preaching, to the principal and says, Mr. Martinez, a plane just hit the Twin Towers. And everybody's like, whoa, what's that about? First, we're like, okay, we just need to pray, whatever. Ten minutes later, Mr. Martinez, a plane hit the other tower. Later on, Mr. Martinez, a plane hit the Pentagon. It was just like boom, boom, boom. That's when they said, okay, let's dismiss. Everybody go to your class. And then they brought out the rolling They brought out the big rolling tube televisions. Anybody remember those? Like as big as your car, right? Like just roll. Right? Like big old tube televisions where, you know, you had to dial it in just right. Anybody remember those? And we're, we're watching this stuff and we're like, whoa. And they just keep replaying and replaying the planes hitting. And we're just like. What is happening? And we, for the first time in our life, got exposed to true terrorism and what that looked like and how that felt. We got exposed to true 
tragedy, true national tragedy. We begin to pray. And I didn't even serve God, but man, I started to pray. I was like, dude, this is, this is psycho. I can't believe what's going on. We're about to celebrate the 20-year anniversary of that day next weekend. It's a big deal. I remember what I was feeling. I was feeling confused. I was feeling, you know, very curious. Like, even at a certain point, I thought, do I need to go fight? Do I need to sign up? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I had some friends that we were like, do we need to join the military? Like, what do we need to do? Because this isn't right. Like, there was this righteous anger, you know, that just kind of built up. And you felt like we need to do something about this. Well, this is pretty much the setting of the book of Nehemiah. That's the setting. The story of Nehemiah actually describes what happened after a lot of huge tragedies in the nation of Israel. <laughs> I was talking with my son Malachi the other day, I think it was yesterday, and he was like, Dad, I think I know when Jesus is coming back. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I said, because he don't even know. How you know? You know? <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, I think... When America finally caves in to all the laws and all the taking away of rights and all this stuff, I think when America caves in, then Jesus is going to come back. I was like, hmm, interesting. I said, but that is a very American view of Scripture. He's like, what do you mean? And I tell him, I said, look, we can't think nationally. We have to think globally. We can't think Oh, when it happens to America, then the end will come. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with our nation. It has everything to do with God's people globally. And we are actually not even close to experiencing what the rest of the world is experiencing. There are literal, literal underground churches in China, Afghanistan, Kabul, who are being assassinated as we speak. They're getting martyred for their faith, and they're standing strong. And we're complaining about every little thing that we're going through. And so you have Nehemiah, and he sees all the tragedies. He sees everything that happened to his nation. And he sees, hey, there's a problem here, and we need to fix it. And I'm not going to read the entire book to you. I really would encourage you to go start reading it from chapter 1. But you'll see in the very beginning of this book, Nehemiah praying that God would use him to help solve these problems. So I'm going to give you a quick brief summary of the book. Nehemiah is the man we give credit to for rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity was over. See, Babylon came in and took over Israel and took them captive, okay? And they destroyed a lot of stuff. The Babylonians came in to the country and ran everyone else out. They sent the Jewish people in several different directions. They destroyed their cities and their homes. They divided up families. The Babylonians' kings made it a policy to deport any conquered people. So it was the policy of the Babylonian Empire when they invaded to deport anyone that they conquered. They just divided them up. They scattered them. They broke them up so that they could not rally against them. 
the policy of the Persians was the opposite. So the Babylonian captivity is over. Persia takes over Babylon. And now Israel is actually under Persian authority now. And so the tragedies are over. Persia is in control. And their way of doing things is very, very different. And that's where we're at in the story. You follow me so far. So you have all this tragedy. One administration, one kingdom completely destroys Israel. The next one comes in and they're kind of friendly to Israel. They kept people together, the Persian Empire. The Persians displaced the Babylonians instead. The Persians come in and they kick out all the Babylonians and they sent the Jewish people back to their homes. This took a hundred years to accomplish. Took a long time. And it was about 90 years in when people were being sent back that Nehemiah came onto the scene. So there's a hundred year process of all the Jewish people coming back to Israel. And in that process, 90 years later, when that started, Nehemiah is a young man ready to serve God. And he sees what's going on. 13 years before Nehemiah comes, there's a man named Ezra who had returned to Jerusalem with the intention of rebuilding the temple. But he was not very successful because there was so much interference from those that did not want him to build it. So Nehemiah was a young Hebrew person in Persia when the word reached him that the temple in Jerusalem was being reconstructed and he grew anxious knowing that there was no wall to protect the city. Nehemiah invited God to use him to save the city and God answered his prayer by softening the heart of the Persian king Artaxerxes. If you went to school at all and you did history, you will learn that there was a king named Artaxerxes. And this dude was a real person. And this dude was being the leader at the time of Persia. And Nehemiah had to go to him for permission. Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah his blessing. And he also supplied Nehemiah with all that he needed for the project. Hello? This person that doesn't serve God, doesn't know God, but respected the young man, funded and blessed his operation. Nehemiah was given permission by the king to return to Jerusalem, and then they made him governor of Jerusalem. That's where we're at. Nehemiah simply just said, God, here I am, send me. He was a willing vessel. He had some skill, but he was serving in the palace in Persia. He had a nice, cushy job. He didn't have to do much. He just kind of ordered people around. He was like, yeah, I've got it made here, but I hear of all this trauma going on back home, so I need to do something about it. So, Lord, can you help me do this? Okay, king, can you send me to go save this city? Because there's no wall to protect the city. Sure, whatever you want to do. They made him governor. And he served the Persian king in a secular position before God promoted him to a lower position. You following me? See, when God promotes you, sometimes it's always down first. 
We don't like to hear that part. Because <laughs> we like promotion, meaning going up. But when God promotes you in his kingdom, sometimes you have to go lower first. You have to serve first. So here Nehemiah is coming from his secular job way up here and then saying, I just want to go serve. And then God puts him here. And then before you know it, boom, he's governor. See how that works? God said, okay, go here first. Now you're going there. You're skipping all of the stuff in between because of your heart. And it was right. So Nehemiah's expertise, because he learned from the king, actually made him better equipped to lead politically where he was sent. And it was necessary for these people to survive. He had developed skills in the secular world that he was able to implement leadership-wise in the kingdom of God. Under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews were able to withstand opposition and they came together to accomplish their goal. Nehemiah led by example. He gave up a respected position for hard labor with zero political significance. And then when he partnered with Ezra, you see that his political significance began to rise again. Because he laid a spiritual foundation first. His humility before God provided an example for everyone that saw him. He never claimed glory for himself, but he always gave God credit for his success. Can I get an amen this morning? It's an amazing story. So now what I want to do is I'm going to read a couple chapters in Nehemiah. Because there's 13, but I'm just reading two today. You ready? Let's read Nehemiah chapter 4. It says this. Now when Sanballat, Sanballat is the, the, <laughs> the dark guy, right? He's the, he's the foe. He's the guy that's coming against Nehemiah. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the armies of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they receive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes. What Ammonite was beside him? And he said, yes, they are rebuilding if a fox goes up in on it he will break down their stone wall hear O god for we are despised turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to plunder and land where they are captives do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. For when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a Guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. They come to a realization 
in the middle of the project that there is too much opposition. There's too many people out there that don't want this to happen. They also come to the realization that this project is too big. And they cannot do this project on their own strength. I want to encourage you this morning. If you've taken on something that is too big for you, you're probably in the right place. Because it's supposed to be too big for you. When you come to the realization that what you're doing for God is too big for you and you need him to help you complete it, you're in the right position. But if you can do it all on your own, you're probably looking for credit all on your own. See, they came to the realization in the middle of the project, there's too many against us, this is too much rubble, there's too much going on, we cannot do this by ourselves, therefore, we need to pray. Therefore, we need to trust in God. Verse 11. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near, the, near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lower, those parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan... We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. So this is important right here. Because what they learned to do is they learned to work with one hand. They learned to work <laughs> with one hand. They learned to work one hand to the plow and one hand ready to fight. In other words, they never let down their guard. They had people stationed everywhere, people ready to go, people ready to fight, but they never stopped building. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't stop building. Okay, turn to the second choice and say, don't stop building. And then second choice, tell them, why was I your second choice? Oh, he just got it. <laughs> Let's continue. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally us there, and our God will fight 
for us. See, Nehemiah set an expectation every time. He said, hey, listen, we're going to do our part. We're going to work with one hand. We're going to fight with the other. But it's not us who's going to fight for us. We are going to trust that God will fight for us. You see, it's not enough for you just to believe that God will fight for you and God will protect you and God will provide for you. You still have to work, even if it means you have one hand tied behind your back. You still have to put in the labor. You still have to put in the effort. You still have to put in the energy. Just because you know God can do anything doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything. Got a little amen there. Let's keep going. Verse 21. So we labored at the work. And a half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and, my, and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who follow me. Check it out. None of us took our clothes off. They never changed their underwear. How about that? They were so serious about this. They didn't even change clothes. Yeah, I probably smelled. (laughs) This is what they had to do. This is the reality of the situation. This is the truth of the fact of the matter is they didn't let their guard down, not even for a split second. They were always ready, always working, always fighting, always prepared. And each kept his weapon at his right hand. So now let's read chapter 6. Y'all ready? Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come And let us meet together at whatever that word says in the plain of, oh, no. Everybody say, oh, no. He said, I ain't meeting that. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Will I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time sent me his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations in Geshem. Also, it says that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem there is a king in Judah and now the king will hear of these reports so now come and let us take counsel together then I sent to him saying no such thing as you have said have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind (laughs) I love that see Nehemiah had no time no energy for people that were coming against him. He had no time, no energy for people that were trying to talk about him. He had no time, no energy for people that were trying to say things from afar and make up stuff about him. He said, nothing of what you said is true. You've invented it in your own mind. So why should I take time away from my work to go talk to you? 
Let this be a lesson for those of you who deal with people talking about you. Do not take the time or energy to entertain it. Simply say no to oh no. Boomo, right there. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, son of Methabel, oh my gosh, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. These guys wanted to retreat. They wanted to hide Nehemiah, like get out of here. They're going to come kill you. They are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understand, understood and saw that God had not sent him. See, even some people who are trying to protect you may not be there from God. He understood in that moment. He, ha- he means well, but that's not God's voice either. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him for this purpose he was hired that i should be afraid and act in this way and sin and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me remember tobiah and sambalot oh my god according to these things that they did and also the prophetess noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid verse 15 so the wall was finished On the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days, they built this entire wall surrounding the entire city of Jerusalem in 52 days. We need to resurrect some Nehemiah people and send them to Corpus Christi so in 52 days they can fix the city. Please, Lord, help us with all this construction project. Can you imagine how fast these guys worked? They worked around the clock. They didn't stop. They, they did what they're supposed to do while they were armed in one hand in 52 days. That's supernatural power. That's supernatural strength. That is supernatural servanthood. Can I get an amen this morning? And when all our enemies heard of it, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had become accomplished by the help of our God. (laughs) See, they came to Nehemiah and said, why don't you go hide? You should be afraid. You know, they're coming to get you. He said, oh, no, no. I'm not hiding. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Once they hear that we're finished, they're going to be the ones hiding because they don't have a wall. We built the wall. We're the protected ones. God is on our side. Now that they're seeing, wait a minute, we're the ones exposed now. They're the ones in the position of power. They're the ones in the position of authority. They begin to lose all confidence in their position. They begin to lose all confidence in their abilities. And they said, we should be afraid now. And they were very, very afraid. So I got some things to share with you. Just some thoughts. 
from this story so far. It's time to rebuild. I want you to say it to yourself. I want you to believe that in yourself. It's time to rebuild. See, sometimes things get broken down. Sometimes your defenses get weak. Sometimes your walls that are supposed to be there to protect you are tattered and broken and destroyed. Maybe the tragedies in your life have caused you to feel things you didn't want to feel. But it's time to rebuild. Here's the other thing. You may have to rebuild with one hand at work and one hand at war. But it's time to rebuild. You might have to be on guard at all times. But it's time to rebuild. You might be grieving a tragedy. You might be going through loss. But it's still time to rebuild. Even when it's painful. Even when it's laborious. When it's hard work. It's still time to rebuild. Could be about you personally, your family, your marriage, whatever the case. It's time to rebuild. Even if nobody recognizes you for your efforts, it's still time to rebuild. Even if you had to leave a good situation to come and deal with this issue, you still have to rebuild. I want to encourage you this morning. Proverbs 4.23, it is one of the most famous scriptures you'll ever hear repeated. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Man, that's important, isn't it? What determines the course of your life? What you allow to hit your heart. What you allow to impact you deep within. Will literally steer you and direct you and push you in the direction that you're going in. It will completely redirect the course of your life. Whatever you allow in your heart. That is why it is so incredibly important. The Bible says that you hide God's word where? In your heart. Because it is a defense for you. The Bible talks about how God is your shield. He is your protector. The breastplate of righteousness. Hello, it protects you. It guards your heart. The problem is we're trying to fight with no armor, no word. And I guarantee you, if you begin to seek God and you begin to guard your heart, you can not only fight, you can fight with one hand while you work with the other. You can rebuild things that were broken, that were torn down if you do it God's way. If you do it the way Nehemiah did it, guard your heart. Guard your heart. You need to just tell yourself that. Guard your heart. The direction of your life depends on it. 
Listen, this is the recipe for success. You want to know how to succeed? You want to know how to overcome? This is the recipe for success. This is the recipe for winning. But while you're winning, don't seek recognition. While you're winning, don't seek glory for it. Be okay with nobody knowing that you're winning. Because it's not about what they think anyways. (laughs) It's not about that. Nehemiah didn't have any time for someone wanting to meet with him about why he's doing what he's doing. They sent five messengers. He said, I don't have time. I'm winning. You have to be okay with working without all the tools you need. You have to be okay with working one-handed at times. You have to be okay working, guarding yourself at, at all times. You have to be okay knowing that I might have to do whatever it takes to push through. But at the same time, you have to be okay with saying, God, you've got the rest. See, everyone has a limit. Everyone has a breaking point. Everyone has a ceiling. You have to work up to that ceiling and then say, okay, God, I need you now. I trust you. You're going to fight for me. You're going to provide for me. But I'm going to work as much as I can, as hard as I can. I'm going to give you my all, but the rest is up to you. That's all God wants. The problem is we sometimes can get in a mode of murmuring and complaining, and we haven't taken the first step. And God's like, what do you want me to protect you from? You haven't even gotten out into the open yet. Anybody hearing me this morning? Why do the winning if it's only to seek validation from others? Nehemiah could care less who thought about what about him. He was there to build a wall. He, he wasn't there to make sure his name was on it. He was there to protect the city. He didn't care what title he had. The governor was laying bricks too. The governor was fighting too. He was the governor and yet he was there with them and he didn't change his clothes either. You following that yet? Seeking validation from others only cheapens your victories. When you do things to accomplish things, to get validation from people rather than God, it actually cheapens your success. It cheapens your victories. The only person that you need to aim to please is the Lord himself. The only person that matters when you are trying to determine where you're at. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I fulfilling my calling? Am I I working the way you want me to work? Am I giving you my best? It's not to a human standard. It's to a godly standard. So hear this. Everyone should be appreciated. Everyone should be appreciated, but no one should seek recognition. 
everyone should feel appreciated for the hard work. But if your aim is recognition, you're missing the point. God has placed you where you are for a purpose. God has put you in that position for a purpose. God has placed you in certain people's lives for a purpose. The best thing you can do is have the right attitude about that purpose. If you have the right focus, the right attitude, who you're trying to please, then you have the right focus. Watch the team, y'all come up. This series is called The Vow, and this is just the setup message for the rest of the series. We're going to learn some stuff, hopefully, that, that will really help us. But this series is called The Vow because you have to vow to yourself to not quit. You have to vow to yourself to not quit when things get hard. You have to vow to yourself to push through and to persevere and to press on when things get rough, when things get difficult, when things get hard. Because if you quit whenever things get hard and when, whenever they get rough, then you're not learning, you're not growing. Hey, listen, you can have comfort or you can have growth, but you can't have both. If you're going to grow... It's going to be uncomfortable. If you're going to get stronger, what do you have to do, Becca? You have to get more sore, right? You have to lift more weight. It has to be uncomfortable. It has to be painful. Pain produces growth. My kids get hurt. I say, get up off the floor. Pain is your teacher. And then guess what? Now they repeat. I'm getting up, right, Dad? Because pain is my teacher. That's right. Now you know not to fall. Malachi comes to me and says, why my leg hurts so much? Because you're using it. You're skating a lot. You're running a lot. You're using it. And so it's going through the pain process. It's a good thing. Get used to it. Pain is a teacher. Problem is, we like to go, oh, are you okay? To every little thing. And we do that spiritually, too. Try to coddle people spiritually when the reality is this is a war. Scripture teaches us we have to put on the full armor of God. There are fiery arrows by day and fiery darts by night. Like it never ends. Anybody ever experienced spiritual warfare at night? It doesn't end. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You wake up, you have this dream. What was that? I felt like I was literally there. And it definitely wasn't from the Lord. It doesn't stop. You go to work, there's a demon sitting next to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You never know. Some of you might have that experience. I don't know. I've I've heard some stories. (laughs) She's like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, some of you, your occupation, it's hazardous spiritually sometimes. And you have to understand that you need the opposition. You need the person on the other side. See, here's what's interesting and what people don't often point out. Every person who ever got promoted spiritually in the kingdom of God, in the Bible, got promoted because of an enemy. 
She got that. Come on, Carol. Who promoted Moses? Pharaoh. Who promoted David? Goliath. Hello? It keeps going and going. Who promoted all the disciples? The persecution from the corrupt empires that they faced constantly coming against them, trying to kill them. It just kept promoting them. It just made them more famous. It just made their word get out more. It just made it more powerful. Who promoted Jesus Christ himself? Religious people. Every time you go through a season where it's hard, and God wants to push you up and promote you and help you get stronger, you have to face an enemy. It is a necessity. You don't get promoted without fighting a battle. You can't win at a game you didn't play, in a fight you didn't face. In order to go up spiritually, you have to be attacked. Nehemiah sees what's going on and he vowed to finish this wall. He vowed to rebuild what had been torn down by a former enemy a hundred years prior. He vowed that if he built this wall, his people will be protected. And he vowed to not let anything get in his way. So he made his plans, he set his course. He trained his people, and then he said, God, help us. And I'm telling you right now, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever's going on at work, whatever's going on at home, you need to do your part. Put forth the effort, and then say, God, help me. Fight for me. I'm going to be on guard. I'm going to protect my heart. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to serve well. But I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your assistance. You have to vow to yourself that you're not going to give up when things get hard because God has already vowed to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you, even when you're the one that's hard-headed. See, God made a vow to us. We need to make that vow back to him. We can't give up. We can't throw in the towel when things get hard. I don't know who I'm speaking to online today. Whoever wants to give up, make the vow to persevere. Make the vow to continue on. Make the vow to push through. Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you say, whatever you try to do, you have to do it like you're doing it to God, not like you're doing it to people. Don't do it to impress people. Do it as you're doing it to the Lord. This applies to every area of life, how you raise your kids, how you love your family, how you love your husband, how you love your wife, how you treat others, how you speak about them how you act at work, how you work, your work ethic. It 
applies to it all. You have to give your best because you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord. You've been given a life. You've been given breath. How dare we waste it doing things that don't matter? Things don't matter when they don't matter to you. If it matters to you, give your best and do it as you're doing it to the Lord. If it matters to you, if you're at work and hey, my work matters, I'm not just clocking in, clocking out, just trying to take a paycheck. No, no, I'm gonna do what I'm doing to the best of my ability for the Lord. I have worked some weird jobs in life, some weird jobs. I've been the telemarketer, hello, would you like to buy some more? I've been the door knocker, I sold knives, I still got them knives too. They work good. I sold juice. Remember that, Cheryl? Sold juice for a little bit. Like juice, yeah. Great juice. Wanna buy some? Yeah. Fifty dollars a bottle. Let's go. Let's go. Started my own business. That's another business. Messed up that business. Started a different business. <laughs> Done some weird stuff, but everything I do, I don't care what it is. I do it to the Lord. I do it all in. I just, I can't stand doing something half-heartedly. I can't stand doing something to please someone else. I'm doing it because I want to represent God well in everything that I do. And you have to have that drive. You have to have that passion. Don't go through life wasting time. I'm just here to collect a paycheck, punch in, punch out. I really don't care what happens. That's the attitude that will get you nowhere. You'll never rebuild a wall like that. What if Nehemiah had a bunch of guys around him that were just like, I'm just here to say I did my part so no one can say that I didn't contribute. No, no, no. They're working with a sword in their hand, constantly on guard. They were committed to the cause. They were focused. They didn't give up. If someone was weak, they helped them along. And if they didn't want to do it, then they got them out of there. Are you kidding me? Our lives depend on it. Our families depend on it. He said, hey, fight for your children. Fight for your wives. Fight for your home. Fight for your country. But then understand that God will fight for us too. Hear me clearly. This rebuilding of the wall was hard, laborious work. It was intense. It was painful. It was grueling. It was so hard they knew they couldn't do it on their own, yet they persisted. They persisted and they persisted and said, God's gonna help us. So in other words, they committed to the project and they knew that God was committed to their protection. And I'm telling you, if you'll just commit to your responsibilities, God will commit to provide for your every need. They said, our God will fight for us. Is it any different for us here? Your God will fight for you too. Your God will protect you too. But you have to work like it. You have to act like it. You have to serve like it. You have to build like it. You have to be willing to work at your freedom. You have to be willing to work at your joy. That doesn't come easy. You have to be willing to work at your faith. 
It doesn't come naturally sometimes. You have to work at it. You have to push. You have to persevere. You have to press on. You can't give up. Nehemiah vowed to finish the wall. And in verse 15, he says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. You see, they didn't know how long it was going to take. They just knew they had to get it done. You might be asking the question, how long do I have to go through this season? How long do I have to go through this test? How long do I have to go through this situation? Maybe your situation is not good at work. How long do I have to do this? As long as it takes, just don't give up. Because one day you'll be able to look and say, there's a wall there. We rebuilt that. Through God's help, we got that done. Through supernatural strength, that happened. Because we didn't give up. We didn't throw in the towel. Chapter 4 that we read was all about Nehemiah's haters. All about the opposition. All about everyone that came against him. All the characters in the story that said, we're here to kill you. You have no chance. There's no way you're getting that done. Chapter 4 was all about the haters and their hatred towards him. And chapter 6 was all about the haters being silenced. Because when, this, when the wall was built, when they followed through with their word, it silenced the voice of everyone that was hating against them. And the fear transferred from the people of Jerusalem to everyone outside of it. Let's stand this morning. There may be things in your life right now that you're trying to figure out. Do I keep going? Do I press on? Do I persevere? The question first you need to be asking is, have you invited God to use you yet? Because that's the first thing Nehemiah did. He said, Lord, I see this problem. We're in a very big tragedy right now. There's so much going on. There's so many problems. But I see this one problem that I think I can help with. Will you use me? Will you send me? See, he prayed a prayer. And he prayed it out of humility. He prayed it out of the right heart and God blessed him and God gave him favor and God provided for his needs and then God gave him the ability God gave him the wisdom to push through you see the first step you need to take in figuring out what exactly you need to get done is you need to ask God and invite him into that situation and say can you use me in this will you use me in this when you invite God into the issue, when you invite God into the situation, into the problem, he will speak to you. And then once he does, it's time to take action. It's time to push on. It's time to move forward. It's time to plant your feet in the ground. Make your vows and don't break them. 
There's a reason why we do wedding ceremonies. Because truthfully, people aren't physically, spiritually married until the consummation, right? But there's a reason we do the ceremony. The ceremony is to publicly announce the vows before God and before men so that we can keep each other accountable, right? The reason for the ceremony and for the vows is to make a promise publicly. I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you abandoned by by yourself. I'm going to be with you always. We're going to push through. Those are the vows. And when you come to Christ, he makes a vow to you. All he's asking is for you to make a vow in return. Let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us. We thank you for the gifts and the opportunities that you've given us to persevere, to overcome. Now, if that's you this morning and you're in that boat and you need the strength to push through, you need the strength to rebuild. Just lift your hand real high. Just lift your hand real high. I see you. I see you. Yes. Lord, I pray right now for supernatural strength, supernatural favor, supernatural joy. Lord, give them the right mindset. Give them the right heart. Let them hear your voice and hear it clearly. Help them to persevere and not give in to the pressure of the enemy, but press on. Help them to trust you in all things. In Jesus' name. us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.